no shortage of money. It's only a shortage of our belief that we deserve to have access to that money. Mm, and number one, solve a spice problem. One that is specific, pervasive, insurmountable, clear, expensive. I love it. Secondly, you said a person to whom do I want to solve that problem mm -hmm. for? And last but not least, goes into more of the budgeting budgeting right. side, of, side of things. Like who can I likely get to come and hang out with me to want to solve this problem, Absolutely. right? And as entrepreneurs, money is not commensurate with the level of work that you're doing because price is only a problem in the absence of value. If you're watching this video, you're about to make a whole lot of money. I'm excited and welcome back to Monetizing Markets. Now here's what's important. You know our goal is to take the questions you would ask Google and the questions you would ask YouTube and answer them for you. Well, today I'm excited because I'm not the only one answering it. I called in. I'm talking about your favorite coach's favorite coach. She is the secret weapon behind many of those times that you're seeing entrepreneurs walking those stages, grabbing awards. She, they probably work with her. <laughs> you're welcome. All right, I had, to, I had to give her credit for that, but welcome, my friend, my sister, Dr. Darnielle Harmon. It's so good to have you, family. I'm so excited to be here. This is going to be fun. Hey, y'all. <laughs> I was... I would say our first meeting, right? So they get a chance to eavesdrop. We we got a chance to meet at a conference mm -hmm. that you were um, consulting on. Yes. And from there, you know, had breakfast that turned into lunch, and we started <laughs> talking business and this, and there was so much overlap. I learned so much immediately, so many things. I was getting ready for an event. And you immediately started telling me a lot of things I was messing up and doing wrong. Well, let's not say messing <laughs> up. Just opportunities for improvement oh so that you God. can produce the results that you want, right? Like, I don't really think that there are mistakes. We're either winning or we're learning. Yeah. So it was an opportunity to teach you something that could help you right, right away. You know what I mean? I think it's important to frame it for people, right? Like, everyone sees people doing live events, virtual events. Mm -hmm. Um, in the coaching space, people calling them enrollment events, mm -hmm. things of that nature, and very few people know what they're doing, right? It, this would be true. Right? <laughs> like me included, right? We put together events and we think this might work. This might be a good idea, but you've dialed it into a science, but here's where I want to start. Mm -hmm. Before we get into events, I want to start from this place of the success you had, like biggest event ever. What did that look like? And if you don't mind talking numbers, like mm -hmm. how much did we produce from that event? Yeah, I love talking numbers. Um, so biggest event ever was 2015, 300 people in the room, $2.3 million. And now, hold on, hold up, hold up. You ain't gonna run past two, $2 million. <laughs> like it's like, let me get a cheeseburger and a Coke. <laughs> hold on. 300 people in the room, mm -hmm. two point what? $2.3 million. Talk to me about that. What did, what did you do right? Oh, so, okay. So in order to answer that question, I got to take you all the way back. So oh, I did wow. my very first event in 2009. I had 250 people in the room and I charged them $25 to be there. The only thing I had to sell was my $20 book. So when it was all said and done, I had made $400. Wow. And I was like, I did way too much work to walk away with $400. So I had a roster of events scheduled for the rest of 2009. I canceled all of the rest of them and I went on the road. Yeah. And so I went to every event I could find, as much money as I had. And back then I was about to file bankruptcy. I was almost about to live in my car. Like money was funny, yeah. but I took what I had and I invested it in attending events. And I went to learn whatever I could learn as a student, but I was also watching the background. And I was like, oh, well, when I walked in, they did this. And after the first break, they did this. And then on the morning of day two, they did this. And I literally, for I did it at every single event. And at the end, I had gone to five events. At the end of it, I wrote it, I put it all out in front of me and I looked for the commonalities. And I built from that what I... an event. So I did a one day event, thousand mm -hmm. dollar ticket, 10 people signed up. Of those 10 people, six of them enrolled in my $10,000 program. Hold on, hold on. You went a long way from $25. Yes, along. <laughs> like, what, what was going on? And here's why this is important to ask. Because some, how do you jump from $25 to charging 1000 Like, what happened internally? What happened mentally? Did you change marketing? Did your audience change? Like, 
How you go yeah. from charging $25 to $1,000 a head? So it was really just coming into the understanding of everything that goes into an event. So one of the things I teach my clients and students now is that you want to profit before you take the stage. Because when you profit before you take the stage, you don't take the stage with desperation energy. You don't have to feel like you have to sell them something in order to pay the vendors that are waiting behind the scenes like, yo, where's my check, right? And so I recognized when I did that first event, it came out all out of my pocket. I charged them $25. That was like no money. It was like $5,000 yeah. I had made. The, to do the whole event, it probably cost me about $7,500. So I was $2,500 in the hole out of my pocket, and I only made $400. Yeah. The math wasn't mathing, <laughs> right? And so in attending all of these events, the average price tag of the tickets to attend those events was $1,000. This was back in 2009. Mm. So those people today that are having events and charging $200 or $300, y'all wrong. It's part of the reason why you're not profiting before you take the stage. You, you're, so just you're just going to do it I'm like just going to do that. Because here's Here's the thing, like, <laughs> if you're gonna do events, and there are a lot, statistically 4,000 events happen every single day in this country. That doesn't mean every event is an enrollment event, but the vast majority of enrollment events, they convert 10 to 15% of the room. I don't know about you, but I'm not getting a new wig or getting my hair done. <laughs> I'm not getting somebody to come and do my makeup every single day. I'm not hiring a stylist. I'm not standing on the stage and doing all of that to convert 10% of that room. Yeah. Because the people buying tickets, booking plane tickets in hotels are auditioning you to see if you're there next. So I need to stack the deck in my favor to make sure that the people that come in the room, they get an experience that tells them absolutely unequivocally, I'm the best who ever did it and they need to come and hang with me so that they can get similar results. Mm. And that only happens if you require more from the people you want to be your clients. And that starts by raising what you charge for them to walk in the door. If everybody can enter, Where's the exclusivity? You're a commodity. Yeah. There's nothing special about you. Yeah. And so it's a decision, it's a choice. Now, don't get me wrong, low ticket works too. They all work, all the models work, but you have to be really clear when the lower amount of skin in the game is going to potentially lead to a higher end offer. Yeah. That can be challenging. If I only paid 197 to get in the room, you might not be able to get me to invest in a $30,000 program. Yeah. You might cap it and can only do a 10 or 15,000, right? So when you have a ticket that's at least $1,000, it allows you to accelerate what people are paying on the back end to I get wanna, you to where your money I wanna should be. I want to go back to your story. Mm -hmm. I want to go back to like hearing you now, I can tell you're the best at what you do. Thank you. Um, I was so impressed and I said this to you, I was like, man, you are a friend of my mind because I got, I got excited, right? I was dialed in, locked in, in our conversation because I thought it was brilliant that I don't know many people that have a niche that work that helps people put on live enrollment events, mm -hmm. right? We're not just talking about putting on a conference just to say we did it. Correct. We're talking about coaches, entrepreneurs, et cetera, who are putting on events for the purpose of showing, showcasing their expertise mm -hmm. and being able to enroll new clients. Correct. You are consulting other people on how to do this. You have a model, you have a program, et cetera. But Starting out, you're talking about going to those five events and writing down everything. Mm -hmm. What would you do differently from your $25 event where you only profited $400 mm -hmm. to your $1,000? Like, take me back to that and then yeah. take us up to that $2 million. Yeah, event. so the biggest thing that was different is what I call the run of show. Okay. You have got to position yourself in a way to make the decision to enroll for the person sitting in the seat as an attendee a no-brainer and so that means everything you do from the moment they see your video they click on your page to buy their ticket until the moment they are sitting in your room everything is intentional to enroll mm. you have already in most cases sold them enrolled them before they show up that's the reason why our clients see on average a 38 to 43 percent conversion when most people are doing 10 to 15 percent yeah, yeah. and i'm talking about the giants in the industry are doing 10 to 15 percent yeah and we, at our last event this past May, we did 79% conversion That's in the insane. room. That's insane. It's, it is insane. It's the first time we've ever done 79. We hover around 43, just based on what it is that we know. So You the, know we're going to get into what y'all did at that event. Yeah, we can talk about gotta, it. I got to hear about this this 1000 like $25 to $1,000. <laughs> like, I'm stuck right there. Yeah, so, the, the, I mean, the biggest difference in the ticket price was that I wanted to call in a different buyer. Okay. The person who is spending $25 in that case, and no disrespect to my brothers and sisters in Christ, but that's the church crowd. 
That's the, I'm going to wait on Jesus. I don't need you to coach me. No. And now, and here's Jesus the thing. Jesus yes. is my coach. Call on him. Right. <laughs> Jesus is my life coach. And the thing is, I didn't even know at that first event to offer them something other than my book. Gotcha. I didn't even know that I should have a continuing education program for them to deepen their experience and learning with me and to continue to get the result. I didn't know what I didn't know. So when I went to those five events, it's one of the first things I caught was that they all had another program. The $1,000 ticket in the door was the starting point, not the stopping point. Yeah. And the investment ranges went from anywhere, again, 2009, anywhere from $10,000 to $25,000 is what I experienced back then. And so that was a real mind shift for me. Oh, so I can t pick a topic and I can give them success in the room. I can give them something that's immediately actionable. Mm -hmm. And then I can offer to work with them over the course of a specified period of time to help to make sure that they get the consistency around that action. Yeah. Right. Because it's what I've come to learn is that it's not about strategy. If it were strategy, we'd all be making millions. It's the implementation. It's the community. It's the belief that you can actually do what it is you say you want to do, because most of us are still dealing with the remnants of the lack that we were introduced to from our families. Yeah. And we're contending with that. So myself included, that twenty five dollar price point was where I was comfortable at that point. But when my money got funny, I wasn't comfortable anymore. And I said, if this is going to be my business, if this is going to be the way that I move through the world and I experience a living that is better than the six figure job I left to do this, then I'm going to have to understand what's happening. I'm going to have to require more from the people that I want to work with. And that started with raising the investment. Although I only got 10 people in the room the next year, those people were the right people as evidenced by the fact that six out of the 10, 60% of them converted into my $10,000 program. Yeah. And so I just, I kept starting and that was a one day event, Marcus. So then in April, I did a two day event. And in that two day event, I had 30 people in the room, still had a thousand dollar price tag on the ticket of those 30 people, 12 of them enrolled in my $10,000 program. So I 60,000, my first event, 120,000. The next one, I did it again in July. By July, it was a three day because I didn't believe that I could off the streets do a three day event. Yeah. It was, it was unfathomable to me. And so I, I, you know, I allowed myself to edge up to it by the third day, still 30 people in the room, thousand dollar ticket. And at that particular event, 18 people signed up for my program. That's a good day. So now 180,000, we did it again in October, still a three day October. We ended up having 40 or 45 people in the room, 25 people enrolled. Now the offer is 18,000. Mm. Here's what, here's what I want to stop you and say. I, I think you're helping people in a bunch of ways. Most people think that success for an event is the number of people there. No. Right. So when they're hearing 10 people in the room, some would say, man, it wasn't a successful event. Oh, at a thousand dollars per person. Yeah. Right. Versus you charging a hundred dollars, getting more people you really made less. Yes. Right. So you're saying less people, more interactive, you were able to go deep with them and the conversion was higher. You're yes. talking six people at $10,000, $60,000 event, 10,000 on the front end, 60,000 on the back end. Hey, not bad. Yeah. How'd you get those 10 people in the room? Um, you know, marketing for me at that particular point in time was who did I already know? So coming into my own business, I was leaving Mary Kay cosmetics where I was a pink Cadillac and I had 500 women in my unit. So I just went through my network, right? So there, social media was here, but it wasn't really what yeah. it is today, right? Yeah. Even though the algorithm was definitely working better for us back <laughs> then, you didn't need ads in order to get yeah. people's attention. But I, it was mainly just connecting with the people that I already knew. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't even start running ads as a company until like 2019. Wow. So we did, even when we got 300 people in the room, our strategy was... Of course, our clients were invited. We wanted them to bring a friend. I did a tour. So I went to five cities and did a half day event at a $49 price point. And the investment, the next step was to come to the event. Gotcha. So I did that. We ended up get converting roughly 30, 35% in, in each city. And we would get anywhere from 30 to 50 people in the room. And then we run a really heavy bring a friend strategy. Gotcha. And we don't do bring a friend for free, we, but we do discount the bring a friend ticket. I like that. And what we find is that the, the vast majority, so every event that we've been tracking since we've been paying attention to it, the people want to bring a friend ticket, 60% of them enroll. I like that.
I like that. And so we run heavy on bring a friend because you've already made the decision to come. Who wants to come by it? themselves, right? So get them someone. to bring their built-in accountability with them or a member of their team if they already have team. And then we are allowing ourselves to double the numbers that are in the room very easily with very little additional marketing effort and expense to get new butts and yeah. seats. So we go from first event, 10 people. Mm -hmm. Second event, how many people? 28. 28 people. So first event, we make $60,000. Mm -hmm. Second event, 28 people. And we make Hundred and twenty thousand. Mm -hmm. Third event, how many people? We had like third. I think it was thirty again. Eighteen people signed up, so one hundred and eighty thousand. Hey, one hundred eighty thousand. Third event, mm -hmm. fourth event. Fourth event, we had forty-five people. We raised the offer to eighteen. We had twenty-five people enrolled, so that was like three hundred thousand. Wow. Dollars we did. And fifth event. By the fifth event, the following spring, we had seventy out, seventy-eight people in the room. We ended up having 33 people enroll and we did like 600 and some thousand dollars. So what what number event was it that became the million dollar event? Uh, event number seven. So tell me about number six. Yeah. So number six was, like I said, 78 people, 33 people end up enrolling. It was. It was crazy. Like, OK, so this was the first time that the cash in was six figures, gotcha. like the, the revenue. Right. Because, you know, most of that sales and depending upon how the people enroll, if they're doing a payment plan, you're not getting all of that money. It's projected revenue. Yeah. But cash in after the sixth event was more than six figures. It was so what I did, um, it's going to be an overshare, but hopefully it'll help somebody. <laughs> I took all the cash. I went to the bank. I took it all out of the bank. I took it home. I took all my clothes off and I rolled around in it. All right. And yeah. I did that. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, yes, I did. But you know why? Because I don't come from money. My parents were drug addicts turned crack addicts. Yeah. I remember when I was 16 years old, I had $7,500 that I had saved and my dad took it to get high. Mm. And so I, even though at my job up until that point, I made $120,000 a year, but I never saw $120,000. By the time FICA and all her friends yeah, was done yeah. with it and what was in my paycheck, it was not anywhere near that amount of money. So I needed to know what it felt like to have money. Yeah. I needed to really commune. We talk a lot. And you hear this in our coaching space about changing your relationship with money. I had to realize that I could I could have a serious, loving, respectful relationship with money. Now, I know the believers out there, they about to go in on me because they thinking about first Timothy six and ten for the love of money is the root yeah. of all evil yeah. for they that coveteth after have erred from the faith and has caused them sorrow. But here's the thing for the love of money in Greek is the word avarice. Yeah. So what that scripture is really saying is extreme greed is the root of all evil, not the love of money. Yeah. And God or Paul even tells Timothy in verse 17, you're going to encounter rich people. And when you do, this is what I want you to tell them. Tell them not to be high minded or arrogant. Tell them to do good deeds and to tell them to remember the source of their wealth. Yeah. So by taking that money out, rubbing around in it and feeling it and recognizing the significance of the fact that God wants me to be rich, yeah. that he willed it for me, that I would experience exceeding and abundant above all I could ever ask of, think or imagine, I got to shift in my brain the possibility of welcoming money in without having to work hard because that's what I used to believe hold on, about hold on. it. Say that again because somebody needs to hear it. You, you got used to breaking what? Say yeah. that one more time. So I broke the belief that I had to work hard in order to make money. I didn't work hard at my event. I had fun. I danced. I taught, which is my favorite thing in the world to do. Yeah. And at the end of it, I was rewarded with people saying, I want to keep rocking with you. And them enrolling in my five-figure programs to the tune of almost $200,000 coming in at one point in time. Had never seen that amount of money at that point in time. Yeah. Now it's grown substantially, right? So I remember um, a couple of years ago, my husband, <laughs> I did the same thing with my husband. So I went and got <laughs> a half a million dollars out of the bank. Don't judge me because I had a half a million dollars in the bank. Yeah. And we rolled around in it because the same thing. I needed my husband to recognize <laughs> that money is always available, right? Uh, it, money never sleeps. It never goes away. It's always there. If it's not coming to you, there's something in your belief or your alignment that's keeping it from you. Somebody is sitting here thinking, hearing your story and moved by it, and somebody else is like, so her and her husband was rolling around. We was rolling around, <laughs> we was rolling around in the hey, money. They don't know which one to sit listen, with. They're like, oh, that was good. Roll but, and here's the thing. The <laughs> denomination doesn't matter. Yeah. 
Go get some money out of the bank. The most you have that you could take. Yeah. Go home, take your clothes off, and roll around it. It will shift your energy around money, and it will allow you to believe about money differently. Because, see, most of us, we're, we're pulling our debit card for everything. Yeah. Right? Or we're doing direct deposit and then direct pay. And so we never exchange money. We never really feel it in our hand. And so we continue to hold the belief that we got to rob Peter to pay Paul or there's not money enough for the things that we have. If you want to allow money to sit in your life experience then you got to change the way you relate with money. So here's my question. You mentioned at the time that you're transitioning from six figure job, moving into doing live events, you said you mentioned you were going through bankruptcy. Mm -hmm. How did you shift your mindset and relationship to money? How did you have the belief to ask someone to pay you this amount mm-hmm. while experiencing that? Right? Yeah. So, okay. So to answer this question, I got to go back. So first and foremost, I would like for everybody to know that I have an anointing on my life for money. Mm-hmm. That is my anointing. That is my call. That is my mandate. That is why I'm here. And as a result of that, I had to experience everything one can experience with money so that I would be equipped to walk somebody else through how to get to the other side of it. So I've been there, done that, got all the t-shirts for all the things you could possibly think of, bankruptcy just being one of them. Now, in order to shift my mindset, the best thing that ever happened to me when I went through bankruptcy, the trustee um, forced me, mandated me to take a financial literacy course. Mm -hmm. In that financial literacy course, I don't know if they do this everywhere, but I live in the state of Delaware. In that financial literacy course, the instructor had us read a book called Happy Pocket Full of Money by David Cameron Jacondi. The book changed my life. It changed the way that I saw money. It changed the way that I understood money to be. It helped me to understand the neuroscience around money. And all of that allowed me to shift my six inches in between my ears, right? I say all the time, until you work on the six inches in between your ears, you will not feel six or seven figures in between your fingers. Mm. And so I did that work. And as a result of it, I kept testing the theory of what money really is, that it is an energy and that we can create it whenever we want, right? You get to the point or you have the potential to get to the point where you never ever again utter the words, I can't afford it. Yeah. Because you understand what money is. Yeah. And so it's not, can I afford it? The question for me is, do I want to afford it? Here, so here's what we got to push to. Because my job is to have the conversation because we, we, we synergize and have the belief. But yeah. I do recognize that we are having a conversation that other people and all Can't walks of to. life, right? Yeah. All walks of life. Mm-hmm. Someone is listening to this on the way to work. Someone's mm-hmm. listening to this after work. Someone's listening to this that's unemployed. Right. And they're like, she's talking about money in a way that it sounds to them as if you cussed out their grandma, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? Yes. It's like, it, it almost sounds, and, and when, when you have a healthy relationship with money, it's almost like someone who's coy about public displays of affection. Right. You boldly talk about your relationship with money in a way that some could hear that based on their relationship and be like, well, that ain't true. You can't create money whenever you want. Mm-hmm. I, think I think we should speak to that. Okay. Like, how does a person break that? If a person has an unhealthy relationship with money, meaning they think that, it's not enough. Mm-hmm. You said you can't, don't have to say I can't afford it. A person will say, well, that, well, I can't afford it. Right. How do you combat that thought? How does a, how does a person overcome that belief, overcome that emotion, that feeling, that attachment they have to money? Yeah. So there's a couple different things we can do. Um, number one, and this is probably the realest example is for them to think of a time in their life when they didn't have the money for something and they needed to. Let's talk about the car. I think everybody has at one point in time taken a car to Jiffy Lube or to dealership. Something other than what the mistake was, was wrong. And in order to fix it, it was some astronomical amount of money. And astronomical is relative, right? Yeah. If I don't have any money, $500 is a lot. Yeah. If I got $500 or $1,000 in the bank and it's $1,800, that's a lot, right? All of us have had an experience where we needed to fix something that we couldn't afford in that moment. Yet when our car was ready at 4 p.m., we picked it up. Yeah. How is that possible if money is not available everywhere all the time? (laughs) So we got to recount and we got to remember, because see what happens, we get selective amnesia. In the moment that we're experiencing life and good and money is raining, we feel one way, we're euphoric. When money is tight, we seep right back into this desperation energy as if the things we were taught, because most of this is what we were taught or what we caught from watching our loved ones, Mm -hmm. is in fact the truth. Right. I always like to because I know a lot of times this happens in the body of believers. So I always like to pull in the word. 
2,300 times God talks about money, wealth, and possession. 39% of the parables are about money, wealth, and possession. Why? Not because God was money hungry or he thought the root of money was the root of all evil because money is a little thing. It's a minor thing that we have to master. I love to point out the parable of the talents and we look at those three servants, two who took the money and multiplied it and one in fear who buried it. And those of us who operate in fear around money are the ones who don't have money enough for the things that we desire in our life experience. Those of us who understand that money is to be double, it is to be replicated and multiplied are the ones who get to experience it. So I would encourage anybody to track their life. Go back and find those moments when money was plentiful. Think about who you were, what energy you held, how you showed up, and see if you can bring that into your current life experience and if you'll shift the way you see money. That's powerful. Because it's powerful. everywhere. All the, I mean, how else can we explain that right now we're in Atlanta. So right now driving down the 20, is that one of y'all's highways? Yeah. Yeah, I don't drive here because y'all, y'all traffic is crazy. <laughs> but w- right now there's a Kia driving next to a Honda, driving next to a BMW, driving next to a Maserati, driving next to a Bentley right now on the 20. Yeah. Because there's plenty of money. Yeah. That right now somebody just got a contract for $250 million to play for two years (laughs) in the NBA and someone else is holding a sign and panhandling on the highway. There's no shortage of money. It's only a shortage of our belief that we deserve to have access to that money. Mm. And when you understand that we are worthy now, again, to my fellow believers, I don't know what church you went to, but the church I was raised in, I was taught to pray that I am not worthy. That thing seeps in and you believe that you are not worthy. And as a child who's taught to believe that becomes an adult who lives that, who inside of their business has really low rates. Yeah. Charging pennies on the dollar, expecting to get to the million dollar mark. Yeah, no, it doesn't work that way. And so you have to go back to the root and shift what you know to be true about money. And I think that if we're being honest and we write it all down, we'll find the patterns, the patterns that exist to tell us where money was plentiful, even if it was only payday. Yeah. At one point in time, it was plentiful and we did these things. Now, maybe we made some bad decisions and we weren't fiscally responsive and good stewards over our money, but money is always there. Yeah. And as entrepreneurs, money is not commensurate with the level of work that you're doing because price is only a problem in the absence of value. So when you understand the value that you articulate in the marketplace to solve a problem that your clients have been unsuccessful solving at their own, on their own, you can charge whatever you deem necessary to live the life and have money enough so that you never again have to say, I can't afford that. Ooh, I love it, I love it. Now, let me say this, I 100% am in alignment and agree with you. Um, I don't have that feeling of always tell my, my wife one of the conversations that we have frequent and often. I said, I don't believe in, I said, in our household, we don't make uh, withdrawal statements. We ask deposit questions. Absolutely. Right? I love so that. that. That's a quote. And I say it to my, to also my clients. Mm-hmm. We don't make withdrawal statements. We ask deposit questions, meaning I can't afford it as a statement that Correct. shuts down Energy, ideas, innovation, and belief. Absolutely. If we ask the question, how can I afford it? Creativity opens up. Our brain is hardwired to be able to sort through questions from Absolutely. all day long. I was, I was listening to, I cannot remember the lady's name. I've been obsessed with this whole shift in adult behavior, human behavior, mm-hmm. even studying books on how we can augment our personality types, yeah. right, to match what we want. And one of the things I was reading in it, it was talking about, the importance of in our psyche all day long, there are narratives of micro questions. Correct. Some we do without thinking, others have to engage our mind. And when we cannot answer that question, that's where frustration and all that ensues. Mm-hmm. And it, you know where that comes from, like the foundations of the earth. If you think about Matthew 7 and 7, asking it is given. Mm-hmm. When we ask questions, God has to give us the answer. Yeah, yeah. So that's why I love what you just said, that we're not going to make a withdrawal statement. We're going to ask a deposit question because it forces God to bring you the answer to the question. Yeah. And the question need only start with how. Yeah. That's what spurs the creativity. That's what gets us to vibrate at a higher level. Like one of my favorite universal laws, which is based on Galatians 6, is the law of circulation. And what 
the law of circulation basically says is that abundance, money, wealth is always expanding around us at an ever increasing rate. It never stops flowing. It's always flowing. There are things that we can do to stop the flow of abundance in our life. And there are things that we can do to accelerate the flow of abundance. Mm. And part of that all start, well, all of it starts with who you be. The model of abundance is three questions. Who must I be? Or one question, who must I be? in order to do what I desire to do so that I can have what I desire to have. Probably. Who must I be? You have to be it to become it. You have to be it already. So even when you don't have the money, you don't have the resource, act as if, Yeah. right? The Bible says, speak those things that be not as though they were, right? Some people like to say, fake it until you make it. I don't like fake it, because that's like that withdrawal statement. Yeah. But open up the space to operate as how, how you will operate if you actually had that in your life experience right now. Yeah. That's going to change everything. It's going to change your countenance. It's going to change who you hang around. We all know that we become like the five people with whom we spend the majority of our time. If you're broke, it's because you got five broke friends. <laughs> Go start spending time in circles with people that the menus come or the, the bill comes and they fighting to see who can pay the bill instead of trying to divide it up. Yeah, that sounds like my squad. Yeah, mine too. Cause I, <laughs> like millionaires don't split checks. Yeah, yeah. We don't do that. I'm not doing that. Like, I got it this time. You get it next time. No, That's split, how we roll. We split that seven no, we're not doing that <laughs> because that is similar to you saying it's a withdrawal statement. That's a withdrawal action. Money doesn't need to be divided. It's always flowing. Yeah. And, but it is it is an embodiment. It is a being state that allows you to experience what God said in his word every single time he talks about money, wealth and possessions. And the under the important thing to understand is that the money, the clients, they are not the source of you getting access to the money. Yeah. God is. Yeah. So deepen your connection and relationship with him because the way you see yourself is really about the way that God, you see how God sees you. And if we can shift that, then you'll see yourself the way that God sees you and then you'll see yourself and relate to money differently. This is why I was excited about this conversation. I don't, don't even want to call it an interview, this conversation. Because I wanted people to have the opportunity to hear the brilliance that is Dr. Harmon, right? I yes. normally just call you Don't Yell. Yeah, Don't Yell. Right? Here's what I mean. There is a difference in cadence, intentionality, and what, and what I refer to as absolute certainty mm -hmm. that a person can hear from you, which yeah. is what I, I love. Yeah. And for some, they hear it wrong because confidence sounds like arrogance to insecure people. Yes, correct. You're confident, you're sure, and I believe that you couldn't have attracted the wealth you wanted if you had doubts. Correct. So you mentioned something, and then we, it's a couple things I got to go into. You mm -hmm. mentioned something a second ago about who we become, and I want to frame this. The Dr. Danielle Harmon that you are now, mm -hmm. if you were having a conversation with the Dr. Danielle Harmon you were, mm -hmm. charging $25, mm -hmm. what would be the first conversation you have with that, with that woman? Yeah, I would talk about worthiness and deserve level. Because a big part of the reason why I charged $25 is because I thought that that was all I could command to get people in a room with me. Mm, that's so important. It's, it's me. It's always you. It's the way you see yourself. And the way you see money is about the way you see yourself. So if you shift the way you see yourself, it will appear as arrogance to someone else. But like you just said, or the way that I say it is when someone calls you arrogant, it is your confidence bumping up against their insecurity. It's you being a mirror of who they wish they could be, but they don't have the courage to be it. So instead they want to lash out and label you. Yeah. But what it really is, is it, it's an indication and an example of what's possible for them too, if they would just allow themselves to experience the shift. Mm. And so for me, that's what I, we would talk about worthiness and deserve level. We would get to the heart of the reason why I felt like the only thing I could charge back then was $25 and sell my $20 book. Why I didn't hold space and belief that I could do something more. Now, part of that is because I didn't know, right? I didn't know what I didn't know. I didn't even know there was a thing out there called coaching in this sense yeah. that I could leverage to take my expertise and transfer it into someone else's life and business. I didn't know that, right? And I wasn't also privy to what could be available to me as I was doing that first event to open me up to those experiences. Yeah. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know where to go looking. But after it happened yeah. and I got $400 and I cannot change my life in any way, 
I'm like, oh, we got we got to figure this thing out because I loved the feeling of exhilaration that I had being in the presence of all of those people. There's something amazing that happens in the power of proximity. Yeah. That energy that happens, right? I loved it and I wanted to do it more, but there was no way I could do it more if, if the result was going to continue to be $400. Yeah, you couldn't you couldn't afford to do it. Could could not. And so I said I have to figure out how to learn what I don't know. And I would have been willing to go and hire someone, but no one was teaching how to do an event events back then. Yeah. And so I had to figure it out myself and test and poke and prod at the blueprint till we got to the point where now every time we do an event, we can do a million dollars, right? Easily. And this is with like our event we just had, we had 150 tickets sold, I think 132 people in the room and we did $1.1 million. I love it. That's what I, I want to go into that now. I, I heard the first six events. The seventh event was that two million dollar event. We can't breeze over that. Shout out, clap, hand claps <laughs> in the chat, <laughs> right? We can't breeze, breeze past that. I want I want to give some tangible, practical mm-hmm. things that people can learn and people can do, right? Okay. So, knowledge that they can acquire in their mind, and skills that they can actually do to make sure that they have a successful enrollment event. So, if they're an entrepreneur, coach. And I want to make sure we speak to both in-person and virtual. Yes. But let's talk in-person. Because there's, there's only a few things that are different when you're doing it virtually. It's pretty much the same. It's 90% exactly the same all the way through. And there's like a 10% shift if it's virtual. We'll divide it out. Mm-hmm. We'll make sure. we first going to talk about in-person events. What is the first one to three things a person should do if they're getting ready to, if they, they have the idea. They yeah. haven't already decided on an event yet, mm-hmm. right? Just the idea, I want to do an event. What's that to-do list that they should start doing to gear up for that, to go from idea to actually having what they need to get ready to do an event? Yeah, number one, what are you known for? Are you known for something that solves a serious problem for people? We call it the spice problem, a problem that is specific and substantive. That means it is very, very, very clear, the problem, and it's a deep problem, it's not a surface problem. It's pervasive and persistent. That thing is gonna continue to linger until someone like you shows up to solve it. It's immediate and insurmountable. Without getting help, they won't solve the problem. They are clear and conscious that they have the problem, and the way you present it is contrary, and so you rise above the noise that exists in the marketplace. And this problem, this problem is expensive and expansive. They're gonna continue to cost them and get big until you show up. If you solve a spice problem, they will typically fall into one of six categories, right? So identity, life, um, purpose, legacy, money, career, business, wealth, love, communication, relationships, health, mental health, wellness, life, um, time and and balance, um, and then fulfillment, alignment, and happiness. If your problem falls into one, falls into one of those six categories, you're golden. Yeah. So that's number one. Do I really solve a problem? And then for whom do I want to solve this problem? Because for every problem you have, there's an audience that's on a continuum. You have the people who are coming into the knowledge that they have this problem and the people who are very clear that they have this problem. These people are going to be harder to convert because they're skeptical. Yeah. The person who knows that this is their problem, they're ready. They're actively seeking a solution and because people in pain are actively looking for that painkiller, right? So once I know who the problem I solve and who I solve that problem for, then I want to look at what is my current community circumference? How many people are currently tracking me, following me, watching me, listening to me, engaging with me? And is that enough people that I could get approximately one to three percent of them to raise their hand and say they want to come to an event with me. See, some people falsely think, oh, I've got a hundred thousand followers on Instagram. It'll be easy for me to get 500 people in a room. Nah, it don't work like that. Yeah, they, they watch you on Instagram. They, they don't rock with you like they that. They don't. They not. Especially when it's a thousand dollar price point, yeah. right? Because when they see that ticket, it's about the way they see themselves. It don't got nothing to do with you. It's completely about if they deem themselves to be worthy to invest in themselves at that level. Mm. Right. So once I look at my total community circumference, I'm only I should only be setting my number on approximately one to three percent of that. Don't you go out there and get you a venue that can hold a thousand people (laughs) and a food and beverage minimum and hotel room nights to go with it. Yeah. Don't you do that because that's what they do. And the hotel is going to sell you. You're going to walk in and you're going to be pipe dreaming. I want to get a thousand people together. They're like, oh, a thousand people. You need a massive ballroom and you need this (laughs) amount and you're going to sign that paperwork. Because in your mind, you think you can do it, right? But no, it doesn't work that way. So I say start small, like in in terms of that. So I would say you can do a really powerful event with 25 people in the room. 
So a person should, so to back channel, if a person has the idea, hey, I want to do an event, not sure. You said number one, solve a spice problem. One that is specific, pervasive, insurmountable, clear, expensive. I love it. Secondly, you said a person to whom do I want to solve that problem mm -hmm. for? And last but not least, goes into more of the budgeting budgeting right. side, side of things. Like who can, of the people I can solve this problem for, who can I likely get to come and hang out with me to want to solve this problem, Absolutely. right? Those are the first three questions to ask before you even think about it. And then I give you a bonus. I would then go out to your community and say something like, I'm thinking about doing an event on insert the topic to solve whatever problem you're going to solve. If I were to get some people together three to six months from now, who would be interested in learning more? Yeah. Now, I also don't want you to take everybody who says me in the chat and all of that as to mean that they bought a ticket because <laughs> you don't even have a ticket yet. No. But you at least are gauging the fact that people would be interested in coming. Once you know that somebody's interested in coming, then you know you have something that's viable that you can begin to do the work on. I like that a lot. So we've got, we've got strategy for the person who has an idea of an event. Now, let's say the person already has a, has a venue, mm -hmm. website already up. Mm -hmm. They're selling tickets. They're pressure on, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Web, so here's the scenario. Website up. People, they already have the idea. They have the name of it. They've already walked through the first three steps. Mm -hmm. Now, how do they get people to start buying these tickets and get butts in seats? Yeah, I mean, the marketing, like there are probably at least 50 ways you could be marketing at any point in time for an event, you got to do all of them. Yeah. So there are some online marketing strategies you'll implement. There's some offline marketing strategies you'll implement, and there's some that'll go both ways. So I would first and foremost, start talking about it as much as possible. Keep in mind from an organic strategy standpoint, the algorithm is not designed to promote you for free. So you post it once thinking you've talked about it too much, but three people saw it, <laughs> yeah, yeah. right? So talk about that thing, like your hair is on fire, like just as often as you can um, get other people to help spread the word with you. Now those could be your existing clients who are ambassadors of your program, who you've already changed their life. Get them to start talking about it too. Find some other partners. Um, you might start thinking about who might be other speakers at your event now before you go ham and bring in 50 other speakers. That is not my recommendation. If you want an enrollment event, that's a conference. <laughs> if you want to enroll, you want to substantially reduce the amount of people that you have in there. Um, in addition to the, those first marketing strategies, I'm not a big proponent for running ads to sell tickets, but I'm a big proponent for running ads to build awareness. Gotcha. So run an ad that goes to an opt-in where the next step, the call to action is about your events. Retarget to the people that are seeing ads, clips, and if you haven't done an event before, this is your first time, footage of you on stage, footage of you from your podcast, footage of you teaching the things you will teach at the event, retarget to them that so that they see it, right? Statistically, the numbers keep changing. It used to be nine to 11 attempts, somebody would see it and then they would be ready to take action. Some reports now are saying as many as 52 touch points before yeah, you'll get yeah. the person to click. So that means you have to load in the content and the, the, um, the copy in order to stay top of mind and in front of them. Everywhere they turn and look, you want to find your way to build some omnipresence. So everywhere you could be marketing, you want to be doing it. It still might not produce a whole bunch of seats, but it will produce a lot of awareness, which works extremely well for us is as we get people to opt in for a lead magnet, we collect name, email, social media, and phone number, and we hit the phones and we hit the DMs. I like that you're not sitting, crossing your fingers mm -mm. and saying, please let them strategically saying, hey, we're cold calling. Correct. We're reaching out to them in the DMs. We're reminding them Correct. of this to get in front of them. I love that. A couple of things you mentioned that I think is a big mistake that people make is you were talking about they, that goes into our being, right? Mm -hmm. The assumption that you're doing too much. I'm posting it too much. I'm talking about it too much. I don't want this. I don't want that. The only people that think that we're people that they're not doing anything, right? Correct. So if I see you going consistent, I'm actually excited about it. Mm -hmm. People who are actually moving and shaking love watching it, modeling and mirroring when they see someone with a full rollout Absolutely. for an event. So I think that's powerful. I can see why you're the go-to person for people because we're only a few minutes in and this is a masterclass on how to conduct successful live events. Yeah. Because you talked about, number one, some would hear that first part on relationship with money and think that's not about live events. It is. Mm -hmm. It's it's about everything. We make a money decision every day. That's going to determine their price point. That's mm -hmm. going to determine who they attract in the room. That's going to determine 
how they put on the event, it's going to even determine what they teach at the event. Correct. Who they book to speak or if they decide to stand in their power and just speak themselves. Mm -hmm. Which is my recommendation, by the way. <laughs> right. Don't, don't get me to that. <laughs> Listen, we had a full conversation yes, on did. this one. Yes, we did. So, but, so before, before, we, before we wrap up, we have to deal with biggest mistakes people make that cost them millions. Yeah. So when you said most live events, if it's done correctly, if we go smaller, even if we go bigger, mm -hmm. we can create a seven-figure day. Correct. What are the mistakes that people make that keep them from having a five, six, or a seven-figure event? If we, yeah. if we can have like two or three of those. Yeah, so just high level would be overshooting and the um, agreement with the hotel or the venue space. Like, I know you want 1,000 people there, but don't ever book a venue for 1,000 people. Book a venue that's large enough that if you get to a thousand people, you could expand without being locked into a venue that's going to hold a thousand people. Right. Yeah. So those types of things. A addition to that, um, booking too many speakers where you end up becoming the host or MC at your own event instead of leveraging your event. If you really want to enroll, you want to invite people to come to learn your framework or methodology your friends can't teach your framework or methodology. Now, I'm not saying don't have your boys come through, yeah. but put them all on one panel and y'all chop it up and talk about something around mindset and investing that's gonna support the audience in making a decision to enroll in your program. Yeah. It's a better use of your friends instead of giving them all your stage because all the time you take off of the stage, the people are being presented with other options that they could invest in. Even if your boys don't make an offer on your stage, yeah. if they get up there and they drop the mic and they drop the mic better than you drop the mic, now your people are like, I'm going to go over here and see what he's talking about because I think that might be a better option for me. Yeah. So, so think about your end goal. Stephen Covey says begin with the end in mind. So the end is the amount of profit that you want on your in your event. That's the end. It's not how long people are going to be talking about the event. It's not who can you get to rock your stage. Now, listen, those things can be important. And I'm not saying that they don't have a place. But most people that are coming to your event are considering you as their next and best move in investment. And if that is in fact the case, you need to demonstrate to them why they should invest to work with you as opposed to investing to work with someone else. Third mistake that I see is inside of the event, not understanding the significance of the end goal and not leveraging the power and the importance of your run of show. Mm. Everything is strategic. Even when you take breaks, I went to an event recently and they took no breaks. They said, you guys are adults. When you need a break, take one. Big mistake for adult learners. They need, break. They need opportunities to decompress. There were no um, breakout sessions or opportunities to talk with your neighbor even to process everything you were learning. They literally threw up on us for three days and mm. then they expected us to invest an additional amount of money to get access to their program. We were so overwhelmed I was like, I can't do anything. An overwhelmed mind does nothing. Yeah. So you will set people up if you do not treat them like people who are, deserve your respect and need to get a specific level of being seen, heard, and feeling safe in order to make an investment decision in themselves through you. Mm. Big mistake I see. Oh my gosh, big mistake. Three mistakes that people make. You can see why she is the very best and is paid to consult people on live events. She puts on live events. Before we wrap up, we got to talk about this book. Yes. Let's, so let's number talk one, I have been gifted one of these. So thank yes, you so you much. You are welcome. I have not got a chance to dive in yet. You know, I'm adjusting to being new father. Yes. Brand new programs, two new businesses we started. So it has been a, a, a blessed time, but a whole lot. But tell, tell me move to millions tell me tell me a little about this book yeah so move to millions the proven framework to become a million dollar ceo with grace and ease instead of hustling grind mm. it's all the game it is part memoir it's part methodology it is my exact journey and the journey that we have helped at this point 41 other entrepreneurs experience in the last few years to scale and sustain to the million dollar mark. Now it. you can get to the million dollar mark with hustle and grind, but you will not be able to sustain it. Statistically, 78% of the people who make a million dollars once will never do it again. 
this book is going to help for you to be able to duplicate and replicate mm -hmm. and to continue to increase year over year over year. The book lays out in four parts. Part one is mastery. That's all the strategy. I say it all the time. If it were just strategy, everybody would be making millions. We give you the strategy because yeah. you need to know it. What I love about our framework, the move to millions method, is that it's agnostic to whichever business model you want to work. I love it. You pick whichever one you work, you want, and then you figure out the right strategy, the right sales infrastructure, the right system, support, and success mindset to undergird that business model to get you to and beyond the million dollar mark. And then we move into the other part that most business books don't tell you. I call it the softer side of entrepreneurship, but it's really the harder part. Things like alignment, surrender, and forgiveness. The significance of holding confidence and how confidence will close more sales than your skills ever will. Yeah. And how to um, how to envelop all of that and embody it in such a way that it makes will it wills you to the million dollar mark. We talk about vision. Most people operate everything they do from their vantage point where they are right now. And the problem with that is your vantage point is always skewed. So I want to invite you to start looking at things from your vision point where you want to be yeah. and then walking into that. And then the E is for execution because the reason why strategy strategy alone is not enough is because you actually have to take consistent action and implement the steps in order to produce the results. And so this is a powerful blueprint that if you wanted to do it by yourself, you absolutely could just with that 310 page book. Woo, 310 pages. Tell everyone, number one, how they can stay connected with you and how they can get access to this Yes, book. absolutely. I'm gonna turn it around so, so y'all can see the cover. <laughs> so y'all can see the cover. Um, so move to millionsbook.com move to millionsbook.com. Wow. How can they stay? How can they connect with you online? Yeah, I'm Darnielle Jervy Harmon everywhere on social. I love it. I love Darnielle. Thank you for your time, for your brilliance. I feel like this is one of those episodes that someone's going to have to call their friends over and treat, <laughs> and treat it like when they used to have scandal parties. Yes. Let's see I if Olivia it. get with Fitzgerald. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love You're it. You're going to have to pause this for wine this because there's so much in it. And here's, I'm not just saying this. I, I'm at a place in life that I would say nothing before I tell a lie. Mm -hmm. Right. This is one of my favorite interviews because I felt like I got a chance to be a student. You echo and mirror so many things that are deep rooted and important to me. Mm -hmm. So I think it's amazing. Can't wait to see what God does. I don't know how, but like from the moment I met you, I was like, man, I feel like we've known each other mm -hmm. forever. At some point we're going to do something together. Who knows when, how that will come to yeah. be, but I know it's going to be beautiful. I wish you, I wish you what I refer to as heaven's best. Thank the you. best that God has to offer in all areas of your life. Thank you. I receive all of it. This has been another episode of Monetize with Marcus. Do me one favor. If you haven't subscribed already, click the subscribe button. Don't keep sneaking in the restaurant, eating and leaving, dining and dashing. I need you to subscribe to make sure you don't miss a beat. Well, you know where to find me. If you need me, I'll be over here minding my online business. I'll see you in the next episode.